Friends and neighbors, you're listening to Portland from the left. I'm Josh. And I'm Piper. And today we're going to be talking about the four city council positions in addition to the mayor that are um, on the Portland City Council. So uh, first, we wanted to start with talking about the most senior member, Joanne Hardesty. I'm actually pretty pro Joanne Hardesty. I always feel bad about this because I feel like I spend a lot, a lot of time publicly critiquing things she's done, but that's just because she's a politician. She's in power. Her ideology, her perspective seem pretty well aligned with me and like generally where I would want an elected official. Um, she's not like, you know, an incredibly radical anarchist or anything, but she generally wants more power um, to people and less power to police and other state institutions and also seems to be interested in funding services for Portlanders. So that's like pretty solid as a base level. That's just what I want anybody in power to do. Mm -hmm. Right. I think one of the things that sometimes I I end up uh, getting hung up on, let's say, um, is her kind of strategic alliances and where she decides to either endorse somebody or co-sign some other politician or work with them in order to get something done. My experience so far is that when she's working with other politicians, um, whether that's because they're only, you know, a certain kind of politician available to work with, you know, mm-hmm. not super progressive, not super lefty folks in town to work with, um, or maybe it's just, you know, bad strategic alliances, they actually end up hurting her political projects yeah. instead of helping them. And so what's what's a good example of that for you that you come back to? Back in June 2020, there was a, a vote to cut the Portland Police Bureau's budget. And the cut was a, a cut of the proposed budget, right? So it wasn't even a budget that was currently in effect. And then the cut was really small. It just amounted to a, a small, you know, a couple percentage points cut um, related to COVID income realities and what was going to happen as we were um, kind of getting into quarantine and people were being less yeah. active and buying less stuff. And they were kind of preparing mm-hmm. for they that. They were cutting all city, all city bureaus at that time yeah, or the, most of them. Yeah. Wheeler yeah. had already put out a call for all the bureaus to put out a cut. And so this was just kind of um, the Portland police bureaus version of that. And now when Hardesty worked with Wheeler, how they presented it at the city council, how they passed it off to the media was that this was a defunding of the police. This was a reaction to the uprising and to protesters demanding $50 million to be cut from the police budget. And um, right now, the Portland Police Bureau's budget is around $230 million. It's been around $230 million mm-hmm. for the last couple of years. When Wheeler got into office and bumped it up, um, the last time it had a significant increase. And so, you know, a $50 million cut would be a, a significant chunk. It, it wouldn't be mm-hmm. half. It'd be a noticeable percentage. It would be a noticeable percentage. And it would be something they'd have to actually change some things about. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the small cut that we got, it was just a couple million dollars. It didn't actually impact staffing levels. It didn't impact... Josh, it, it didn't impact staffing. I heard we don't have any police. It's true. We don't have any police. And that's because <laughs> beautiful Portland protesters have run those motherfuckers off by saying, <laughs> quit your job. And go back to Camus. And that's what they did. We actually have lost quite a few police that way. Um, at this point, roughly 17 or 18% of them. Not from the budget cut, but from just attrition. So yeah, not from the budget cut. <laughs> These people are just quitting because they don't like Portland, basically, and are nervous about potential for literally just like liberal police reform where we actually have mm-hmm. somebody that can hold them accountable instead of them getting away with murder. Yeah. So how do you think, like you were talking about that as sort of a, mis- a strategic misstep for Joanne. So like sort of why do you think that was such a misstep? Because it, I mean, it was directionally, I guess, correct, just very, very tiny. So like, how, how come that was such a strategic misstep in your view? If we, if we take a broader look, right, the political project is to give less power to the police. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Joanne Hardesty would agree with that political project and has said before the uh, Portland Police Bureau needs to be reined in, needs to be, uh, mm-hmm. have their budget cut, et cetera. Um, the impact 
of the cut uh, meant that um, number one, that Wheeler uh, had an opportunity to say he had responded to protesters, that they he had reacted to them in some way when really mm-hmm. this was not what we asked for. This isn't um, something we agreed to and it's not what testimony called for. Um, and it also gave media, um, local media. So we're talking the Oregonian, um, even the Merck and the Willamette week and other organizations, the, the news stations in town, KGW and coin and stuff. They all had now language that said Portland has defunded the police. They've decreased <laughs> the funding. And while it's not inaccurate, you know, um, like we're saying, it's not really a defunding when you're talking about a small budget cut that all the other bureaus went through, mm-hmm. um, that didn't in fact staffing at all. Um, and they did attach to it, uh, shutting down a couple of the more gnarly um, teams inside of PPB, but even those have been restored. Um, a few of those have been restored already. So it's it's really a question of um, doing something that looks like it's in, it, it looks and appears to be in the right direction from a leftist perspective, um, but that actually doesn't accomplish any of our goals and even um, enables uh, our enemies. So in this case, I think mm-hmm. the most clear enemy is the Portland Police Union. Um, uh, yeah. Excuse me, union. I didn't put air quotes when I was saying it. I know this is an audio podcast, but... <laughs> Um, how do you do air quotes? Audio. Quote unquote, you just say it. Union. You say it like that, right? <laughs> Portland Police Union. Um, so the Portland Police Association is our enemy in this case. They're the people we're trying to um, remove power from and keep power away from. And um, what they have been able to say is like, listen, of course the police can't uh, respond to your 911 call on time. That's because the police have been defunded. You can see back um, in June of 2020 where Ted Wheeler and Joanne Hardesty led the city council vote and they defunded the police when the reality is Mm -hmm. the money that got taken away it didn't affect staffing levels um the staffing levels have been affected literally by portlanders yelling at the cops this is why they've left you can go through some of the documentation and a couple different articles and they all say you know um portland's not a good place for me and um, i don't like not being supported by the community and city council doesn't have our backs like that's Mm -hmm. what they're saying and that's the story they're broadcasting which isn't true it's just like fundamentally Mm -hmm. it's true that they're not welcome in portland but their financing just wasn't touched and um so i think that's along with some of the stuff that we're trying to fix on this podcast um is is just misinformation just like clarifying Mm -hmm. and talking about things that are going on as plainly as we can um, from a non-expert perspective um and so joanne hardesty this is a good example of a decision that like she was voting for a cut to the portland police bureau they even closed a couple of the departments that are the most sketchy um, but the net impact was that I think the Portland Police Union has more power and more um, kind of a better story to tell and pitch mm-hmm. when they say we've been defunded and we need more money. It gave them a rhetorical tool with actually like no real impact on their like operational abilities or anything like that. The the net impact is just, I mean, it's just budget numbers. And, and somebody mm-hmm. that would understand this better um, would have better ideas about it. But as an example, you know, they're missing um, over 100 cops, I think, at this point that they mm-hmm. have funding for. They have money for. Yeah. They can pay a, a, a person that doesn't exist salary, but they, they can't ha- cannot successfully positions. hire them. Yeah. So even if mm-hmm. we give them, you know, millions and millions of more dollars, they're still not going to be able to hire these cops. So what are they going to do with the money is a question. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't want to find out, honestly. I don't think we should give them yeah. that leeway or autonomy. So Hardesty made a bad strategic decision allying with Ted Wheeler, and she has before. She has allied with him on other instances. And it generally seems like, you know, at least in hindsight, the allying with him is just a bad move, period, right? Like that's, he's a harmful. My perspective is that um, 
in each of the cases where she's done this, where there's been some alignment or some agreement with another politician, the net impact has been negative. And so I don't necessarily mean that Joanne Hardesty meant for it to be negative. I think that she was just trying to do her best and trying to work with colleagues and trying to like get some stuff moving and trying to do something. That's one thing that we appreciate about Joanne Hardesty is she actually is um, okay. doing things. You can look at the other yeah. commissioner's desks and their... Um, their public output and stuff. And you can tell they're not doing things. They're not making moves. That's something that I want to point out about Hardesty is while like from like a, I don't know, wheeling and dealing sort of a perspective, she maybe can't get some of the big things done that requires collaboration with other commissioners, both through maybe her decision-making, but also certainly through who she has available to collaborate. Like certainly Certainly, that's a factor. Right, right. If, if you've only got video. Wheeler and, I mean, who did she have at the time? To like, She had you daily, which she worked with. Um, she had you daily. Mm-hmm. But, like, it was actually, Amanda Fritz. She did actually ally with her, yeah. So, so while that has not been, like, a, a good path for her to accomplish things for Portlanders, she has still found other ways to help Portland. And, like, I've been thinking about a few examples and maybe, maybe there are things that we don't pay enough attention to some of the time, and maybe the media doesn't pay enough attention to them. But when there have been like really big crises that there are things she can do unilaterally, she has done really cool things for Portland. And like one of the examples I like to think about is um, she put she put out all those porta potties mm-hmm. during the pandemic yep. when a lot of public restrooms were closed for COVID safety reasons. She was like, we still, I mean, there's people living outside and they need sanitary conditions. We need to make sure that there's more human dignity in our city for our neighbors. So she did that. She just put put them all out there. She got a lot of flack for it. People don't like it because people don't want a porta potty on their block. But you know, it's obviously the right thing to do, and it helped Portlanders. And then um, she also has. Uh, fire as her bureau currently Mm -hmm. and uh, Portland street response is reports to fire. So that's been like one of the most important things that has happened in Portland that is good (laughs) in in recent years uh, from the city council. And they, she used that bureau during the heat wave and they were going out and finding people and helping them. They were just like driving around and looking for people experiencing heat distress and helping them out. Like, so that was a lot more than, really anyone else was doing with their bureaus. It's particularly interesting because there are other commissioners with bureaus with more and less money and bigger and larger bureaus and stuff. And of course the fire department is supposed to help people, right? But, mm-hmm. um, you know, housing supposed to help people. Also the police are supposed to help people. And during the heat wave, the stories that we saw were, uh, there were a few stories about Hardesty's, um, uh, PS, PSR specific street response going out and which is very small right stuff. now. So. Yeah. It's just four people, right? It's, it is what yeah. it is. Um, but, uh, the other stories were like Wheeler going to the Mac at, and going on mm-hmm. dates and stuff during the, uh, the heat wave where like, I mean, it was like what 50, 60 plus Portlanders died yeah. just from like sitting in their apartments and, and being overheated and stuff. So the, the, I think the juxtaposition between the two of someone who mm-hmm. maybe imperfectly, but certainly is trying shit and has yeah. a political ideology that cares about people and wants good for Portlanders. I mean, I, I admit that it's a little bit of a, um, a maybe a low bar like to pass. Uh, <laughs> Hard to see passes it very, very clearly. And, and, you know, generally just encouraged by the stuff she's done so far. And even if I have some critiques and stuff, um, absolutely happy with the mm-hmm. way she's like doing stuff and want to support her, particularly because she's one um, of the people on the council that's um, 
recipient of like a really, really incredible amount of hate and what well, this hate speech and aggressive, mm-hmm. like, yeah. um, all kinds of stuff, just like mostly racist shit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, be, as a black woman in power, I think that's just the nature of the thing. The first black woman in council. It's like it's so heavy because it comes from the whole state. Uh, not just Portlanders, because Portlanders voted for her, right? Portlanders like her. Mm. Um, but, you know, our neighbors just outside the city um, tend to be largely, uh, can be more racist, tend to be more white, uh, more conservative. And frequently she's on the receiving end of a lot of hassle yeah. when, like, you know, even when there's protests and stuff that are more aggressive that she's not necessarily co-signing, she ends up hearing mm. about you know, you're Antifa black blocker out there again. And like, it's mm-hmm. not like she organizes a demo for a right. bunch of anarchists <laughs> or something. Yeah. She, she has done really good things that have been under her power to do that in a way that other counselors haven't, her values seem pretty in line at least with a lot of the things we're trying to accomplish currently. Um, but she's strategically, it seems like not making always great choices, which partly definitely admit is, due to not having great people to make alliances with. And like one of those examples is, you know, she's at least partly responsible for Dan Ryan being in office because she endorsed him in that election. And then he immediately voted against her, like what she was working, her main project that she was working on, like his first vote. So maybe we can talk about a little bit about Dan Ryan now as her, as one of her, one of her um, alliances that didn't work out very well. Yeah, Dan Ryan, as someone that Joanne Hardesty endorsed, is really interesting because at the time you're talking about Nick Fish's seat on the city council. Um, so it was a special election because Nick had recently passed away. And um, it was a runoff after a primary with a lot of people in it. And the two people were Dan Ryan and then Loretta Smith, who is someone that's been in and around local politics for a long time, um, does not have a, a big progressive cosign or anything, um, kind of just another power. A past history of taking pe- uh, funding from the police association. Yeah. Um, so so it's not like she had a lot of good options. Dan Ryan um, is from Portland. He's born in North Portland. He has uh, I believe it was eight or nine siblings, so like a massive family, um, and spent a, a lot of his time doing um, stuff with schools. He worked with a nonprofit that I like looked into a little bit um, and really wasn't able to get my head around if I even liked them. Uh, but they're called All Hands Raise, and they did some stuff with schools. So it was like about school testing or quality or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm always suspicious of nonprofits. They just appear like, um, you know, buckets of money for fancy people to move around. Um, and so like, you know, until you show me a nonprofit that actually has some like pretty serious material benefits to people around them, I don't really care. But, you know, he's working on school stuff, which I think is yeah. interesting because um, in Portland City Council, they don't, they basically have no impact on schools. Um, mm-hmm. So spending so long of your life on school stuff and then shifting is pretty interesting to me. Um, it actually, I think, um, reveals a little bit about his... Um, lack of a political project. I don't think, uh, yeah. not not to impugn Dan, I'm not saying he is evil, um, but I would say that he doesn't necessarily have a specific political project. It's yeah. not like he has a lot of ideologies moving forward. And so um, the moves I see him making are mostly about gaining power and mm-hmm. elevating himself, um, which again, I don't like, but like, I'm not saying that's evil in and of itself, but uh, without an ideology to track for, you know, you don't know what ways the wind's going to blow, right? And that my general impression of him comes primarily from like that start of his time in, in, on the commission. And my, my impression of him is he, he goes where power is like, that is just what seems to be happening. I, I don't know his internal motivations, but what he's done. So like, 
telling a quick story about that I think is illustrative here. So he ran with Hardesty's endorsement and Hardesty's project at the time was continuing the project of defunding the police. So she was viewing it as like, we are still doing this. We didn't really do it before. We're, okay, guys, let's keep going. You told me you wanted to do it incrementally. So she's working on the next round of that in the fall budget session. And Dan made a public statement. He said that that at some point he said that we should continue defunding the police. Yes. And it, in fact, was still on his website the last time I checked, which might have been, it might be gone now. But so he, this is his first vote, and because it was a special election and the timing was weird, he is on the council before we have the election for the rest of the people that were up for election. Yeah, the, the election that would have had it in early November when normal elections were going on. Yeah. So this vote, this budget vote, um, had uh, Ted Wheeler, who was up for election, so we didn't know whether we were going to have him as mayor. Um, we had Chloe U. Daly, who was allied with Joanne Hardesty on this project. Uh, we had Amanda Fritz, who absolutely was not allied with Joanne Hardesty on this project. Um, and we had Dan. And Chloe U. Daly was also up for election. So it, it was a question of, you know, we might have three people vote for this. Um, and the winds might blow one way or the other. A really, we might have a really progressive city council. We might have Chloe U. Daly, and we might get rid of Ted Wheeler and have Sarah Ann Arone, or we might have a really conservative council. And it could, you know, at that time, we didn't know which way it was going to go. Um, the first thing he did was he uh, voted to delay the vote <laughs> on the police budget until after we knew the outcome of that election. Now, as a progressive, as a lefty, as a person with a political project, when I'm trying to get things accomplished, I, I the the question of waiting to see how an election will shake out is not important to me. No, um, because it's a, 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 a point flip, right? Even right if now. <laughs> right, even if you if, even if you know or have a, are pretty confident about it, um, if you have the opportunity to do something before an election happens where you don't have any certainty or confidence about it. Um, again, if you have a political project, right, if defunding the police mm -hmm. is part of your thing that you want to accomplish in office, um, it's, it's pretty clear to me that he would have voted yes, of course, instead of delaying. In fact, it was just a vote on whether or not to vote, right? It was just a vote on that delaying. That was the first vote, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, At the time, and, it was and just so, uh, whether we vote now. Yeah, voting yeah. to delay it and waiting to see how the council would shake out is mm -hmm. such a, I mean, it's easy to call it Weasley, right? But really, mm -hmm. I mean, it specifically reveals a lack of ideology. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I, I, I say that when I say it out loud, it sounds like I'm calling him some kind of evil automaton, or, auton, automaton. But I just mean that like, it's not on Dan Ryan's list of things to do to defund the police. If mm -hmm. most people want him to defund the police and the votes are already there, he probably will agree with people defunding the police. Mm -hmm. But like, it's not on his list of things to do. Yeah. And so then... When it turned out, we learned that we would actually have a more conservative city council than before because Ted Wheeler stole the election and Mingus Maps won, um, that he then voted against it. The thing, the thing that he, it was, he was a thing on his platform mm -hmm. and clearly Joanne Hardesty wanted him to support it because it was the project she was working on and yep. endorsed him. So there was a general impression that he probably would vote for it. It was like a pretty modest reform and he didn't. That, his very first vote was to delay it. <laughs> his second vote was to vote it down once we knew that we would, in fact, have a more conservative city council. So I think I generally view him as going where the wind wind blows a bit. Yeah, it's, it's those political alliances and strategies um, on how to, you know, get multiple people in power to agree with you that I think reveals a lot about 
what the people in power are doing and what they're thinking. So when we think about Dan Ryan getting this endorsement from Joanne Hardesty, you know, we're thinking in context of an uprising happening. We were out mm-hmm. on the streets every night. Um, many of us, allegedly, again. Uh, many people, Portlanders, we, right, the Portlanders, Royal, we you know, Portland. the people of Portland. Yeah. Um, and so like thinking back to those times and thinking to how much energy there was for rethinking public safety in a more fundamental way. Um, and realizing now that um, for Dan Ryan, his endorsement was based on the fact that he was backing this idea of defunding the police and for him to not only delay the vote uh, till after the election, um, presumably just in order to save himself some conflict so that he wouldn't have a vote on the record that was like one way or the other. I think he threw under the bus. I view it that way. I view it as a betrayal. Yeah, it it seems like a betrayal. I mean, it seems like, you know, it's not like a trade, right? I don't really necessarily think Joanne was thinking, I will endorse you. You will give me this. It was more like, I'm going to endorse you if you agree with these ideas. And then you lied. So it's just, Mm -hmm. I mean. He's a liar. Lion Dan Ryan. Lion Dan Ryan. And those relationships the things that we don't see i think are a lot of what informs that um and so to say uh, a little bit about carmen rubio because in your research you found out that carmen rubio and dan ryan have like worked in and around each other a little bit right when i was planning for this um i i was like recently kind of a little disturbed that um, carmen rubio and dan ryan were working together on the um clean and safe project because Carmen Rubio, I kind of was up in the air about, like I hadn't actually formed a strong opinion on. It seemed like sometimes she voted in ways that were good. And sometimes I wasn't sure like what she was going to do. Right. And I, she doesn't um, have a background of like police reform stuff. So I like, I didn't know what she was going to do on that because uh, the clean and safe part of the issue of it is they're, they get extra policing. They're private police paid for by businesses. So it is a policing issue really. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways. Um, So she worked together with him on some like weird amendment that is unimportant to me that didn't address any of the problems they care about. And then voted against Hardesty's amendment, which was at least intending to address problems they care about because it was being like, hey, uh, there's some problems with them. Let's only certify it for a year instead of (laughs) instead of five years so that we can like maybe not do some of that stuff and make it not so bad. Um, and she voted against that. So I was like, what the heck? Why is she working with Dan Ryan? Dan Ryan, he's not, like we said, he doesn't have like a strong political project. So Mm -hmm. I was like, what's going on there? And I learned that actually they have worked together before. So they've been on boards together or like one of them has been on a board when someone else worked at a place. So they've, they've like worked together at nonprofits or like at U of O in the past and have a a working history. So that was new to me to learn that. So Carmen uh, is about 10 years older than I am. So she's like um, in her late 40s. Um, But she graduated from U of O with a poli sci degree the same year I graduated high school. So she like kind of went went to school a little bit later in life. Um, after working for local politicians, she she actually worked in the offices of um, Tom Potter, um, who's a cop, a cab, of course. Uh, I feel like we should just mention every single time there's a cop, we should just say a cab, a cab. And then uh, uh, Nick Fish, who we already mentioned, city uh, commissioner, who's now passed away. Um, And then Serena Cruz, who I don't remember her specific position, but at the time she was working um, in the Multnomah County government. Um, She may have been the chair, but uh, like I said, didn't write it down and don't really fucking care. Um, So the the reason I point this out is that um, she has a long history of working with really like very Portland politicians. So I'm not 
I don't uh, know much about Tom Potter other than that he's a cop. So I just assume all his decisions were wrong. Um, (laughs) But I I know the name and I know like um, that he's been in the, in, in, in and around power for a long time. And it's like well-known dude and someone that had a lot of connections. Right. And it was a former police chief and all that kind of stuff. Um, Nick fish kind of the same way, just a very like Portland politician, someone you can just like, if in the image of your head, if, if you know anything about local Portland politics, you're like imagining this dude either fishing somewhere in the woods or, (laughs) or yelling about some housing issue. And so while they may not be politically like in agreement with us as leftists or whatever, they're like people that are of a Portland politics are very like, um, so Carmen Rubio, my first impression was more like, Oh, who is this person? New person, cool, whatever. And I think it was actually some racism on my part that I assumed that a Latina woman was like disconnected from the white politics of Portland when really she's been around forever. She Mm -hmm. um, was born in uh, Hillsboro and um, comes from uh, grandparents who immigrated from Mexico um, and, and has a kind of working class background that way and seems in her interviews and the things she's talking about, seems very concerned with working class issues, was uh, running a, something called the Latino Network, which is about getting services for Latino people um, uh, for uh, more than a decade, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, was doing that, you know, up until becoming a city commissioner. So someone that actually has a political project, unlike Dan Ryan, but mm-hmm. is absolutely part of, you know, I, I, calling someone part of the establishment, I think is like a weird, I don't know what even that means, she's, but she's, she's definitely connected to, to the to the political people in power. The, the yeah. same people who have been making decisions for decades. She's not an outsider candidate. Not an outsider candidate. Someone that's connected yeah. to all these people, connected to the money these people have, connected to the business people that make decisions. So while I would say this, uh, I think Carmen Rubio's pil- political projects is actually maybe interesting and like has some good vibes to it, especially working class vibes. Some we, we agree with. Yeah. A lot sure. of, a lot of stuff where we can align with and, and maybe find some room for strategic movements and stuff. Um, but, uh, I definitely, I definitely understand given that context, why she might side with someone like Dan Ryan rather than mm-hmm. who I would see again. I really, I sincerely think this is a little bit of racism on my part, just assuming that the Latino woman is going to agree with Joanne Hardy because she's Brown. It's like some bullshit racism from a white guy. When the reality is I should have looked at her as an individual, someone that has grown up um, and then uh, worked in the seats of power and has been working with these people all the time. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean that she's like, you know, some kind of, I don't know, has some project that we don't know about that's secret and private and evil and whatever. But it does mean that she's like connected to power and and knows Mm -hmm. how to move in rooms of powerful people. So it's interesting to know that when you're um, talking about the decisions she's making. Mm -hmm. And I... Like one thing that makes me really nervous. So there's like promise of working, like there's promise of people who want to do things good working with Carmen Rubio. It seems there's definitely some projects that could mm-hmm. get done. Yeah. But there's some things that make me nervous on issues that I particularly am focused on. Sure. And one of them, of course, is policing. And one of the things that made me nervous and it just like brought it up to my mind is like her having worked for Tom Potter, like I didn't know him know him that well at the time because I had just moved to Portland as like a college freshman. So like I don't really I wasn't really keyed into what was going on. Are you saying that some college freshmen don't pay attention to municipal politics? I did not, but um, there are plenty of people that are much cooler than me (laughs) that are, are engaged when they're 19 and just moved to the city for the first time. But um, his, his sort of like way he positioned what he wanted to do with policing, like his like police reform part Mm -hmm. of his platform was community policing 
which <laughs> community policing is like kind of an old idea of like how to reform police. But what it actually results in is you need more police to do it. You need because you need like them to be very present. That's what like it means. Yeah, the community policing thing is like, um, you know, beat cops on the neighborhood that you know the name of and stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, that's Jim. He takes care of these couple blocks and he's our cop and whatever. We know him and that's going to make it better somehow when he murders us. And so that makes me really nervous that she like worked. I I don't know what her position on this is, but Mm -hmm. because she like worked for someone that like that was their thing related to policing. And that's currently Mingus's maps project is positioning increased funding for the police is like a community policing project like that's the terminology he uses that's like the old literature he references about policing like i've read some criminology like these are like old papers (laughs) well you know they might have been new when he got his phd in government from cornell which as far as (laughs) i'm concerned is really the place you go when you're looking to really make an impact in municipal government in the pacific northwest you got to go get a phd (laughs) in government from cornell that's the place to go yeah so so maybe maybe this is a good time to talk about maps who is um in my opinion, the farthest right person on council, including Ted, like I think he's farther mm-hmm. right than Ted. Absolutely. I think he has a, a fundamentally conservative project and I don't care whether it's Republican or Democrat, it's conservative, Absolutely, small yeah. C conservative project. And, um, and I, so I have fears that like there are issues that Carmen Rubio might ally with him on. So let's talk about like why we think Mingus Maps is, um, has a dangerous, <laughs> a dangerous, uh, political project. So yeah, so Mingus Maps got his uh, bachelor's from Reed, and then, like I mentioned, a PhD in government, which is sounds very, <laughs> very fancy and good, um, from Cornell, which I'm sure really informed his modern thinking on policing. Um, and uh, I think Mingus Maps is pretty interesting. So uh, this is an audio podcast, so I should mention that he's a black man. I think his... His political project is conservative. Um, and when we say political project, we're just talking about the goals and the things that people want to accomplish. Um, uh, it's hard to hard for me to think of my political ideas as a project, but like, you know, I am, I generally want police to have less money. I'd like my neighbors to have more services. So those are my projects. That's like what I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. What Mingus Maps is trying to do is to make things easier for businesses Um, Mm -hmm. and to fund the police because he believes it will provide public safety or because he says it will, he thinks it, that's the other thing. It's like, I don't know what you believe. So like he says it will provide public safety, which is Mm -hmm. like documented untrue. So whatever. He he positions it that way. He clearly wants to increase funding of police and he positions it as if it's about public safety, regardless of whether he truly believes it. I I don't, I don't really know. It might be more about property values. Who knows? Yeah. And he was a professor before this and doing that kind of stuff. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't have any interesting notes about projects and uh, things he was up to before. Um, but, uh, specifically, I think it's interesting, the, uh, race he entered and, and his winning over Chloe Udaly, who, mm-hmm. um, previously held the seat. Now, Chloe Udaly, solid progressive, um, you know, you might not call her leftist, but definitely was like, uh, her political project was very much aligned with mine. She did a lot of good work, especially, um, for renters. Um, my family benefited uh, like materially from stuff she did in office. I am grateful to our team. We're talking about thousands of dollars that I did not have to pay my landlord because of Chloe Udaly and her team. So thank you very much to those people. Um, and uh, Mingus Maps decided to run against her. And uh, from, you know, a would say a, a Portland politics observer perspective, it mm-hmm. seemed clear that it was a, a NIMBY versus YIMBY thing. 
forgive me for using mm-hmm. those acronyms, but just generally the idea is that there's like a chunk of quote unquote progressives that think we should build housing and a chunk that think that building housing only um, makes rich people richer and doesn't house people. And so um, uh, Udaily's project was uh, more um, Yimby and uh, Maps project is less. And so um, it seems like he just took advantage of that and took Udaily out of the seat. Mm-hmm. He had a very clear win yeah. once it got down to the... Um, uh, the the runoff um, won by forty thousand votes, and that's like you know it's it's not like Ted's where he barely won after you know uh, loaning himself illegally um, money to keep his project going. You know, Mingus Maps has Portlanders support. He won, mm-hmm. and so the question here is, um, I think there's a couple things. The first thing is, I think he was lying. I think that like yeah. the the thing he's saying that if we increase funding to the police, things will be safer is inaccurate. Um, yeah. And so uh, he has a perspective that's like um, very liberal in that, um, you know, he talks a lot about wanting data and research and, and documentation mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, and he even held up PSR, Portland Street Response, um, from uh, secure, actually, I guess it was just like from securing their additional funding for the next um, round uh, by saying he, he demanded a report, mm-hmm. right? He demanded some documentation of what was going on. Of course, we didn't do that with the Portland Police Bureau. We need to be clear here. This is, while he claims that data is really important to him, this is definitely a, a critique that he raises selectively. Like, you know, you mentioned that he didn't do that for the Portland Police Bureau. Like, he he literally asked for an ROI on Portland Street response. But, like, what is our ROI on Portland Police Bureau? They're killing our neighbors. Like, this is not, we're not getting a good return on this. Right. And the relative numbers, I mean, just, just as, as some perspective, we're talking about right now, the PSR thing is, um, I think it's a million and a half dollars or something for the four people this plus some infrastructure and stuff. It's just like, it's hardly noticeable in Portland's budget. We have projects that are like, you had no idea what they are or what their names are or who they benefit that we spend much more on. Um, mm-hmm. And this is a thing that is literally going to change public safety in the city. If it succeeds, you know, I'm optimistic, but it's a state sponsored thing. I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah. But like, if it succeeds, it could have the biggest impact that we have felt in decades. Um, mm-hmm. If it helps with um, basically, you know, homeless services is a broad, like emergency response thing. Um, there, there's just like so much potential baked into it. And Mingus Maps says, for for that dollar you want to spend, I need to see, you know, 700 pages proving mm-hmm. why we're going to spend it. And not because he wants the data, because we already have data that proves that these approaches work. It's because mm-hmm. he's slowing down the project so he can yeah. maintain power and push for um, money and service uh, power for the police bureau. Another way of like thinking about the scale is like Portland police right now, half of their interactions are with people that they like code as are probably homeless. And their budget is like almost $250 million a year. That's almost a quarter billion dollars. So I know the math doesn't like quite do half, half, but let's Mm -hmm. say it's like roughly a hundred, a hundred million dollars a year might be the amount they're spending on that. We'll just as a number, it's something in that scale. That scale is appropriate. Like, and we're not being willing to, to expand a program right now that is like the the single digit millions. And we have the reports, right? We, I mean, this podcast is only about how PPB is bad, but, um, <laughs> you know, we have reports. We know, number one, that, um, again, like Piper said, about half of the arrests 
um, and interactions even uh, of PPP are with folks coded as houseless in some way. And then a massive chunk of those are warrant service. So it's stuff like, hey, you had a warrant out for your arrest or hey, you forgot to check in for this appointment or hey, you forgot this paperwork. Mm -hmm. It's not you stab somebody. It's not you even you broke a window. It's just bullshit paperwork that nobody cares about and finds that nobody can pay. Um, And so they arrest folks and and treat them poorly. And and again, we have the documentation. We know what happens. People get caught up in the justice system, uh, quote unquote justice Mm -hmm. system even. Um, And uh, end up, you know, just doing more and more poorly through that cycle. Like it's documented. Mm -hmm. We know this and we dump money into it. No problem. Um, Whereas Mingus Maps, you know, literally we were just talking about securing the small amount of additional funding. It was like $1 million over the course of a year. And he said, whoa, we need a report on this, right? I'm not just going to give you money for nothing. Now what Mingus Maps is doing, now that there is a report and it is glowing, (laughs) that in fact, Portland street response is going quite well. Um, now he's trying to like rhetorically bundle his push for expanding Portland street response with an increase in funding for police and body cameras. He's like bundling them all as kind of like one movement to, to help Portland with its crime problem. And now we do have a public safety situation, right? We've got an increase in homicides. It's very serious that we need to think about and gun violence stuff that's going on. The, the situation with folks camping in public right-of-ways is a problem that needs to be resolved with housing, housing people. Mm-hmm. That's how we resolve that is with housing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's, it's, it's not that the problems don't exist. So Mingus Maps has a real opportunity here to um, kind of convince Portlanders that, yeah, we're going to get that at Portland Street response funding, and let's just give a little to the police too. They're not doing too good. Let's just spread it around. And that's going to give him a lot, a lot mm-hmm. of energy with Portland Police Bureau if he manages to successfully do this. I think yeah. it will be more than enough for him to have plenty of money for his reelection and plenty of, you know, of their support going forward. So I think, I think your insight that um, he's kind of tying these things together, not, I mean, he is tying these things together, but your like identification that not only did he block this funding initially for a report that we didn't need, we already knew about, yeah. um, but then once he does get the report, he says, oh, this report says we need body cams and public safety. Not explicitly, right? But he's tying it together as though it's one mm-hmm. thing when it's not at all. Portland Street Response is a, uh, a, a unarmed emergency service uh, department inside the fire bureau, right? They should be replacing functions of the police. Absolutely. Taking so, functions away from the police as you build up Portland Street Response. The idea that when they got, I'll, I'll link to this um, in the show notes, but there is a really great city council meeting that's very encouraging if you're an anti-police person and supportive of the Portland Street response. It's just their report back to city council. Um, and even the commissioners had pretty good questions and stuff. And it was actually, it's just very encouraging because all the numbers are better than they expected. Everything is going um, uh, above and beyond what they had hoped for um, and is incredibly successful. So the fact that that meeting, I, I've sent this to Piper twice in Sigma. I, kept, I keep texting it. <laughs> Like you gotta watch it. Um, the fact that Mingus Maps and the other city commissioners didn't leave that meeting saying we need to cut the fifty million dollar check to PSR right now and get them ramped up immediately is just another example of the lack of urgency on any of these situations. Portlanders mm-hmm. are living in Portland with a dangerous situation with a lack of services day to day, and we're mm-hmm. making do. We're taking care of our neighbors. We're working it out through mutual aid. And Amigas Maps Project says, you know what? I think more police funding. That's what we need. 
Before we sort of summarize on Mingus Maps, you pointed out something on his website. (laughs) I feel like both of us were pretty well informed, but needed to do a little more research to have a more Mm in-depth conversation about the commissioners. So we both kind of had the last couple of days digging in their websites and watching old interviews Mm -hmm. and stuff. And one thing I noticed when I Googled Mingus Maps, I said like Mingus Maps Portland. Um, One of the results is his about page on his um, elections uh, website. And specifically, the quote I noted was, I am a Democrat and a feminist. And it was just like one sentence all by itself. Just like, not like responding to something and not like really, there wasn't even a photo next to it. It was just like a sentence by itself on his about page. So I want to talk about this. I want to talk about why it's so inappropriate for Mingus Maps to call himself a feminist in this moment and why it actually infuriates me is first let's start how he got elected. Let's start. Let's start about Chloe Daly's term and the coverage she got all throughout her term painting her as basically an unruly woman crying in meetings, Mm -hmm. yelling at people, being not knowing what she's doing, being uneducated, all leaning in hard to misogyny. And it worked. And Mm -hmm. poor Unders leaned in on misogynist criticism of Chloe Udaly. And I am not saying that like you can't criticize people for like the way they conduct themselves, but it was obviously over the top and misogynist. And Mingus Maps positioned himself in that environment as I am edu- an educated man. And Professor it, Maps. Yeah, there is, there is no way to, like, that he didn't benefit from misogyny in that situation. And then, more recently, he is the only commissioner, and we're including the mayor, Ted Wheeler, here, who we, you know that we hate. We hate him so much. He's the only commissioner that voted against two different attempts for the city of Portland to stand in solidarity with reproductive the attack on reproductive rights. There were like two different proposals for how to do that. He voted against both of them. This is bare minimum symbolic, you know, things, the bare minimum that Wheeler could have done as a gesture to say, hey, we're, we're with you or whatever. So uh, there's not that much credit to Wheeler, but you're absolutely right. Both times he voted against him. And even these wouldn't have cost him anything. It's not like no. there's a pro-life contingent in Portland that's like really rabid about shit like that. People have to drive in from all over to to um, protest our abortion clinics, right? The the question here is what is Mingus Mass project? It's not a feminist project. It's not yeah. The question is what is his project and it's definitely not a feminist project. I mean, you know, you can uh, maybe have your caveats about how you describe yourself and stuff. I'm a, definitely a fucking feminist and Mingus Maps is definitely not one. That's no. very clear. Yeah. So anyway that makes me very furious. <laughs> I do want to I do want to give like sort of my fears right now because we've sort of gone from we've gone from Joanne Hardesty who we think is like someone that aligns enough with our values that you know definitely we're supporting we want to keep her there. And we've seen a swing in the city council to mm-hmm. a more conservative council and we've kind of gone through everybody and like there are some like movable people in there. Dan Ryan and Carmen Rubio like don't have this like really strong project yep. um against what what we want most of the time. They yeah, they don't have a pro police project. They're they're like softly yeah. pro business, but not super aggressively. Yeah. They can be like, there's some room there for them to vote in ways that we would agree with. No, we're not yeah. optimistic about their opinions, but like, no. you know, there's some space for them to be shifted, right? Mingus Maps has um, an overtly conservative project, and especially on policing, he he what he wants to accomplish is very very much counter to the the goals I have, the goals Josh mm-hmm. has, the goals yeah. probably most of you listening have with policing, certainly. And what scares me the most about him right now 
is that he, we are activated as a city from just a really long period of protest, yelling Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. for the city. And what he seems to be doing is taking that message and taking the concern that people have for Black people being able to survive, like literally like Black Lives Matter caring about like Black people surviving in Portland. And he's using that terminology when talking about giving more money to the police, when talking about expanding the power of the police, the exact thing we are protesting against. Mm-hmm. He wants to empower that. And that really scares me. I think that obfuscation of like using language and descriptions that align with, you know, uh, social justice projects um, and then obscuring them so that they benefit those already in power, they benefit the police, they benefit the wealthy business class, I think is one of the things that Portlanders are most susceptible to. Mm -hmm. We're not very good at critiquing black people fairly, um, and we're not good at seeing past a liberal veneer. I want to be more specific about what he's saying. He's saying that because gun violence is disproportionately impacting black men in Portland, that if you care about Black Lives Matter, you have to fund the police. Like that, that, that's the way you have to respond to that. His like professor data boy, whatever project that says like, you know, um, uh, we need to see reports. We want to respond to data, all this kind of stuff that um, Ted Wheeler also says frequently. He talks about how he's like going to really do some research and whatever. Um, the research tells us very clearly that police make things more dangerous. That police kill people and hurt people, that particularly with black and brown people. They're, they're uh, more impacted by uh, the, the violence and the um, detrimental Um, effects of policing. So the idea that caring about Black Lives Matter and caring about Black Lives necessarily means funding the police is is actually the opposite. It's it's incorrect. Mm -hmm. It is incongruous. Um, He's going to keep repeating this and the newspapers are going to, to... to publish the things he's saying and they will be wrong. Particularly the Oregonian. Particularly the Oregonian. So when we talk about Portland from the left, we're talking about politics, but we're also talking about ways to kind of move the needle to, to, to affect your material conditions, to even change government without voting. Um, because in Portland, if, if you live in Portland, you already get your, your uh, ballot in the mailbox. So I, I assume you're going to vote. If you don't vote, I don't really want to have a conversation with you. I'll let you figure <laughs> it out yourself. Um, but if you're looking for other ways to move the city council, I can tell you one thing that I think has some benefits, but it's not moving city council is uh, testifying city council. I think it's totally beneficial to get on the record, um, to get your words out there. We've seen some really powerful testimony um, from different Portlanders, whether that's about policing or about other things the city council is talking about. About, um, I don't believe it has any, maybe not any, but it has much impact on wh- how city council members are going to vote. We certainly have seen like overwhelming testimony and then the vote goes the other way. Yeah, repeatedly. hundreds and hundreds certainly of testimony when we're talking about yeah. the couple defund votes. Um, and they just, mm-hmm. they listen to it. And it, it's, an, I don't think they're necessarily ignoring it, but it's just like, it's not, it doesn't seem weighed into the vote. They, they do the testimony before the vote. It feels like they're listening to you and then making a decision, but that is not what's happening. What's happening is they've already made a decision and then they also have space for other people to say things. Um, so a platform. Uh, yeah, I'm not necessarily saying that they're not listening, but they're certainly not, it's not affecting anybody's vote. That's what we've seen. That's been, been the result so far. So I would say 
testify, testifying city council is totally beneficial, but it's actually beneficial because it gives you a place to talk to your neighbors. Um, most mm-hmm. of us, uh, you know, maybe only have a couple hundred friends, you know, you might have a Facebook or Instagram or whatever, but really in order to talk to a lot of people, you're going to need a platform. You're going to need a place to say things. Um, so for me, testifying in front of city council, that's, um, what good that does is it's about talking to your neighbors, not necessarily about moving city council and moving that vote right mm-hmm. then, but it is about getting the correct information on the record for everyone to hear. And maybe even get coverage of it potentially. Yeah, absolutely get coverage. Uh, one of the kind of uh, more memorable uh, testimonies of city council was from, I'll call him friend of the show, Javier. Uh, and I'll link to that in, in, in the show notes here too. There's a great clip of it. And um, the reason why for me, his testimony was so powerful because it was just really by the books. It was just talking about the things we all talk about, about policing, but real frankly and plainly to city council um, in a really organized fashion, just kind of laying out the case. And it didn't have any impact on city council's vote at the time. In fact, I don't even remember what they were voting on at the time. But it did have an impact on people listening, um, including me. It encouraged me. It, it benefited me just in hearing someone else so plainly state the case for why policing is bad in Portland. And so um, looking for opportunities to publish, I think, um, whether that's testifying city council, um, the Oregonian publishes letters to the editor. As far as I know, I think that is the like most accessible place to a large audience you can get to with political ideas in Portland right now. Um, and then just make a podcast, write a blog, yeah. write your Facebook, talk to your friends, whatever you can do to get these ideas to people. Because, um, the problem is we don't actually have much impact on elected leaders once yeah. they're in office. Um, this is kind of an ongoing electoralism, um, conversation about like how, how much we can impact people that are already in power. So then, um, the, really the question is about impacting Portlanders and changing mm-hmm. public opinion, not necessarily changing the city council because they're individuals who, you know, um, we certainly can find um, room and space to make them uncomfortable, particularly with people like Mingus Maps that mm-hmm. have an anti-person political project, I'd say. You know, his, yeah. his project is so conservative. If you're funding the police, you're anti-people. Um, mm-hmm. So he shouldn't feel comfortable in Portland. His, this should yeah. be like a situation where, oh, it's Mingus Maps. Do you want to tell me why like Portland police should continue killing people for millions of dollars a year? Make him make him deal with that in public. Yeah, um, the, one of the things that I actually uh, I certainly love that the city council meetings are more you know uh, approachable Zoom and stuff, but like um, the idea that we can't be in the same place to. Mm-hmm address folks and like have a central place of protest when stuff like this is happening. It really has had, I think a negative impact on getting energy around this stuff. So it's really publishing and talking to people, I think is the biggest thing I want other people to be doing. Sometimes when people think about influencing their neighbors, they're oftentimes thinking about influencing them to vote. (laughs) They they again go back to voting and it's like, we're going to convince them of our project. They'll vote for a thing. But actually like, I think especially with policing, um, let's just use that as the example because that's sure. like really urgent, is like you can convince your neighbors to just not call the police. Like you can convince your neighbors to be like, oh, the police aren't trustworthy. They kill people. I don't want to call them when something happens. And so you could have like a direct effect on the behavior of your neighbors, even if they don't even agree with you like on everything. Um, and you don't even have to like ally with them on a project. You're just like, hey, think about it this way. And they maybe think about it differently and do a different thing. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think, you know, there's lots of space to move the needle on this. Um, And, you know, if you convince your neighbor, hey, maybe it's not a great idea to call 911, someone might die. The next time they're thinking about voting for someone and they're saying like, blah, 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 public safety means funding the police, they're going to have that extra question in their head about like, well, does it mean, I mean, 
my, my, my bud Piper said, if you know the cops come, they might kill somebody. I don't know if we want that. Um, and it's it's a lot about moving the perspective of people on what what's possible even Mm -hmm. um is it possible to have a city like portland without police we think so we think that we could have a much better imagine dude imagine if we could put that (laughs) 230 million just like fucking buy houses just buy build apartment buildings just like for a couple years just build so many apartment buildings (sighs) it could really be a different place it could be a different place um it could be a better place and i think that's what portlanders want Mm -hmm.